You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 4. So I know pastors mentioned the last few weeks, or before they got sick, uh, and even in some of his emails that, you know, it kind of worked out. I mean, it never works out when you get sick. You don't ever, never really want that. But it kind of worked out because before we even went on vacation, my family, which was at the beginning of, uh, well, right in the middle of July, he had already asked me to fill in today because we were going to be on vacation. They were going to take one more vacation kind of before Olivia went off to school, and they were going to be gone this week already anyways. Uh, so he had already asked uh, me to fill in. So it kind of worked out already. It wasn't a surprise um, I had some time on vacation even to study, which that's always nice when you don't have your normal work schedule and you can kind of take some little bit of extra time to study and prepare. Uh, so it worked out well, and it has been a while since I preached to a live audience, if you want to say. Uh, the last time I did it, there was like four people in here uh, when we were doing everything at home, and I was able to record a, a, a lesson, which was, that was a unique experience to have like pastor over here, my son there, my wife there, the Greebles over here, and that was really about all that was here. That was interesting, to pretend that there were people here. So compared to that, this is great. This is like a full house. So um, I'm excited to be here. I feel like I might be a little rusty just because I haven't gotten up in front of people and talked for a while, so uh, bear with me if you will. Um, but I have something I think that uh, God, every time I preach, every time I give a lesson, and I, always, I might not always say this, but it always is true, every time I get up to speak, God has dealt with me about the situation and the lesson long before it became that I said out loud. God has dealt with my heart, and it's something that God got to me on, and I really feel hopefully it'll be a help to somebody here, if not uh, many people, and that's, that's my prayer, that I take what God has dealt with me on from his word and, and hopefully help some, some here today. So if you'd stand with me, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to James 4. We're going to jump down to verse number 6. We're just going to read a few verses, and then we'll, we'll get right into it. So James chapter 4, starting at verse number 6, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. As I mentioned before, Lord, help our hearts and our minds to be in tune for today, to be your day, the Lord's day for the time that we have here together to be spent worshiping you, adoring you like the song said, longing for you, giving you the praise and the worship that you so rightly deserve. Help us to see who we are. Help us to understand where we stand, Lord. I pray that you'll help our hearts to be changed, to become more like you, to become more like Christ. We love you and thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was preparing and studying for the service this morning, uh, a lot of, and this was a few weeks ago, and it's still going on, there's a lot about kneeling going on. And Pastor even mentioned it in one of his sermons, 
uh, here in the last couple weeks about kneeling and kneeling during the anthems for sports people and all the kneeling that's going on to, to stand against whatever they want to stand against and try to make a statement. And it probably bothers some of us when people kneel during the national anthem, and that's, that's fine, and it probably bothers us some of the, maybe the proud stance a lot of people will take. Um, and it got me thinking a lot about that, and I just thought about the whole kneeling thing and what it kneeling means. And it led me down the path of, you know, I, as Christians, right, we should try to view everything in the world through the lens of the Bible. Right, that's, that's how we should view things. We shouldn't take our personal opinions we shouldn't take the culture of the day or the political stance of the people we affiliate with and decide what we think about a situation. We should decide everything we think about all situations based on what God thinks about situations. Now, there's nothing in the Bible about kneeling during a national anthem. right? During, during the Bible, when it was written, America didn't exist in the way it does today. It wasn't a nation. It wasn't a country like America is today. So God didn't write anything about kneeling to a song that's a national anthem to a country. But he did write a lot about kneeling, and he wrote, wrote some about being humble, and what kneeling means. And there's a lot that we could go into there, and, and I started to go down that path with kneeling and what that means and, and studying it out in the Bible, but God kind of turned me a little bit, turned my, turned my thought process and turned my heart a little bit, and that's where I came to this passage. And there's nothing necessarily in this passage about kneeling, uh, but there's a lot in this passage about being proud and being humble. And that's where God kind of steered my mind and steered my heart as I was studying and, and getting ready to preach today. And so that's the direction we're going to go. But that's where I started. And I feel like having that groundwork and knowing that might be helped to see where my mind went and where God led me. But here in this passage, James has been talking to Christians and talking to the lost as well. But he's been talking a lot about their desires and the lusts that they have. If you go back to chapter 3. Um, he talks a lot about the lusts that people have for things. And, and he was talking to Christians how they weren't a whole lot different um, in their lusts than the world was. And they were even praying for things but not getting them because they were praying and asking for things amiss is the wording that's used. In other words, praying for things so that they could have them, so they could consume them and on their own desires, things that they wanted. Maybe not necessarily things that lined up with what God wanted for them. So even as Christians, they thought they were doing right. They were praying for things, and they were talking to God. They were going to church, but they were out of whack. Their viewpoint was misdirected, and they were looking at themselves and trying to be godly and Christians, but really being pretty selfish in, in everything that they were doing. So James is here talking to Christians about being careful about wanting and lusting what, what their heart desires. And just being so consumed on obtaining the things that they wanted that it was all that they could think of and all that they could see. And by verse 4 here in chapter 4, it's obvious their lusts were very similar to what the world lusted for. And not the things that God would have them desirous of. So that brings us to the point in verse number 6 where it says that God resists something. And as I read that and I saw the word resists, I thought, that I mean, that's a very strong statement that God resists something. We know God is love, right? God is merciful. God is holy. God is just. But here we have where God resists something, and then we find out it's not something, it's someone. And I thought, okay, well, that word resist, we all pretty much know how to speak. And maybe, you know, the younger kids don't know necessarily what resist means, but we all as adults understand what resist means. But I decided to look it up and just kind of get the, 
the, the Greek word here and what that word is trying to portray. And the word resist there is to, to range oneself against or oppose. And when you think about that, you think about, when I think of range oneself against, I think about a fight or think about a battle or a war or even a boxing match, right? They resist each other. They're ready to fight. They're opposing each other. Or if you think about battles, you think about armies that resist each other. Maybe an invading force is trying to come in and you have your army that's trying to resist them and push them back. But when we look at what it's talking about here, it's saying God resists. He has that same thought, that same meaning, resists a person or type of person. And that's the proud. God resists or he, he ranges himself against. He opposes the proud. And again, James isn't talking about the worldly unsaved people here. He's talking about people in his church. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about people that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's talking about people that are saved, that are on their way to heaven, that are trying to, to build Jesus' work. And he's saying God resists those of us that are proud. And what a earth-shattering statement it would be if we were one of those people that God resisted us. Now, does that mean that he resists us and we don't go to heaven? No, of course not. Once you're saved, that you're always saved. That never changes. God never takes that away. But he can resist the way we live. He can resist our lifestyle. He can resist our mindset. He can resist our thought patterns. And that's what's, what James is trying to say here is that those that are proud, those that have that lust and desire to consume for themselves and have that pride in their life, God resists that type of lifestyle. He actively opposes it. He doesn't just look away and ignore it and not bless it, per se. He just he actively opposes it. And I thought about having Carter come up here, but he's bigger now, and so I wasn't sure it would be successful. And doing like a football stance and try to oppose him or him try to oppose me but I didn't want to fail, so I decided not to bring him up, just in case, because he's bigger now. But you get the idea of opposing someone. If God is we're in a football stance, and you have an offensive-defensive line, the offensive lineman is trying to resist the defense from coming in. That's what God does to those of us that are proud. But then he gives us the other side of the coin there, too. But he giveth grace unto the, unto the humble. And here's the thing. Brother Marshall Stevens was here a few weeks ago and preached, and he said a statement that, it struck with me with this particular sermon, but I mean, it fit with what he was saying. He says, you know, we, we need to humble ourselves, humble our souls. The problem is, we already think we're humble. We look at ourselves and be like, yes, I'm humble. And like he said right there, you're no longer humble. If you look at yourself, say, yeah, I'm pretty humble. I feel like I'm pretty humble. I, I, you know, I'm not proud at all. I'm, I'm probably the best humble person I know. It's like... I mean, no one would say that out loud because it sounds ridiculous. But in our minds, we, we, we attach that to ourselves. When we talk about proud people, very rarely do we want to put ourselves in that category. We think that we do our best to be humble, even though that may not be the case. We are often very proud that we're very humble. And we're not prideful. And we're proud of that fact. But a lot of times, and most of us, have been there in our lives where we are proud. Most, I can look... At my marriage, and I can tell you, guys and ladies, anytime there's been an argument or a discussion, heated discussion, put it that way, it's usually pride is involved. Sometimes from both sides, a lot of times from my side, is that I'm proud and unwilling to budge, and pride causes a lot of issues. So we have pride in our lives probably more often than we would like to admit, 
And if we were honest ourselves, it would, it would be a prevalent in our lives a lot more than we probably even realize. And we need to make sure as Christians, we want to grow God's work. We want to further the gospel here on this earth before his kingdom, as his kingdom comes. We want to further his work here. And if we're going to continue and further his work, we have to make sure God's not resisting us, that he's not working against us, but that he's giving us grace because we're humble. And that means we have to get that pride out of our life. But we've all been there at one point or another. Pride has definitely been part of all our lives. And we need to make sure we're trying to prevent that from happening. So how do we prevent becoming this one that God opposes or resists? I think we'd all want to be that kind of person that God is giving grace to, not resisting. So a few things here in the following verses that help us, I think, get to that point where we are humble where we humble ourselves and see who we really are. So verse number 7 gives us our first point, I think. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Do you want to be the humble one? Do you want to not be the proud one? Well, the first, very first step you have to make is submission. And the, the opposite of pride is to submit. And we as Americans especially, we do not like to submit. We like to stand up for what we stand up for and stand our ground and maybe even be stubborn, which is another word for pride, stubborn in our beliefs and and this is how it is and deal with it because I'm American and that's how it's going to be. And even as we become right-wing Christians and we move in that direction, we really get prideful and we stand our ground and we have to be careful. If we're so prideful that we believe in the things we believe in and it could be national things that can even be put to godly things. If we're not careful about who we're submitting to, pride can really creep in there so, so easily. So the very first thing to do to not be prideful and be humble is to submit yourself to God. That, that word submit there, it means to obey by reflex. Don't have to think about it. It's not something you have to decide. It just happens. You, you submit to God's authority, you submit to who God is, and you obey and follow by reflex. If you're a parent and you've had, you have kids in your home or ever had kids in your home, or maybe you even have brothers and sisters, obeying is hard. Even yourself, if you think back to when you were a child in, at your mom and dad's house, probably none of us were the perfect obedient child all the time. There were things that was hard to obey for. Maybe your mom and dad counted how many times they had to say something before you actually obeyed and did what they said to do. And it could be something simple. It could be something big. But obeying and submitting is hard even for children. That's how we're born. Born into sin. Sin is such a part of our life and pride is such a part of our life that even children have a hard time overcoming pride. And when children, guys, kids, teenagers, when you don't obey, it's pride. It's pride in yourself, and you think you know best. You know better than mom and dad. They don't understand the whole situation. I'm just going to do what I think is best because I'm smarter. And I know the situation better. That's pride. Submitting to God and having a problem with that is you're going to have to get rid of pride in order to submit to God. And if we constantly and consciously make that part of our life, make that part of our daily lives, and Christians, you have to make it part of your life. Like every day probably more than one time a day. It can't just be, all right, I got saved, I understood I was a sinner, and I understand that only God can save my sin, or cleanse me from sin, and only God can save me. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to humble myself there and accept his gift. I'm good. 
I, I'm good now. I'm, I'm humble and I don't have to worry about it ever again. No, you have to submit to God, maybe even on an hourly basis. And I can, I can imagine, as if I look at myself, use myself as the template as I speak. If I don't do it numerous times a day, I will go the other direction. Pride will just be part of my life. It has to be a constant thing that I'm always doing is submitting to God. Submitting to God when I wake up in the morning and have my first conversation with my wife and my family. I have to submit my pride and my will, my desires to what God would have me do. When I go to work, I have to submit my will, my desires, who I am to what God would have me do and think that way as I work, as I deal with employees, as I deal with customers, as I deal with other business people. I have to submit my will to God in those situations. When I'm driving down the road, when I'm going to the gas station, when I'm going to Hy-Vee or wherever I'm going to live, every step I take needs to be submitted to God. There are no, it, it tells us, submit yourselves therefore to God, period. Not except for in this situation or unless this comes up. It's a, it's a declarative sentence. Submit yourself to God. We need to, as Christians, put everything in how we act, how we talk, how we think, how we interact with people in subjection to him. To submit all of who you are to anyone else takes you being humble. If you're going to submit yourself to any, anyone, God included, you have to humble yourself. Because you have to admit that, in this case, God knows better than me than any situation. Any situation. Any circumstance. God is more understanding than I think I am. And I have to submit myself and humble myself to that. Submitting ourselves puts us on that direction to being humble and puts us away, further away from pride. And if you notice the second part of that verse, resist the devil. So here we are, we're using the same word resist. So he's telling us to submit ourselves as Christians to God and then resist the devil. And what happens if you resist the devil? If you oppose him, it says he will flee from you. Pride is a sin. Would you agree with me on that? Okay. Just make sure we're all awake. See some head nods. Pride is a sin. The devil is the father of lies. He is all sin, just everything about bad, right? If we want to be very simplistic. That's the devil. And the Bible tells us if we submit who we are and submit ourselves to God and then thereby resist the devil, he will flee from you. You want to make sure you're not proud, make sure God's not resisting you, humble yourself and submit to him. And that'll help you resist the temptations the devil's going to throw your way. Because the devil wants you to be prideful. The devil, once you're saved, he can't, he can't take you with him. He can't take you down. He can't hurt you and take you to hell to hurt God. Right? That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to hurt God as much as he can. He knows, he knows the Bible. He can read it too. He knows he loses. But he's going to take as many down as people as he can with him. To hurt God. Now once you're saved, he can't do that. But he can still attempt to hurt God by having his children live pridefully. To have his children live in sin. And if the devil can get you as a Christian to live a prideful life, to be a proud Christian, and be so pride that there's, just, you're just, there's no humbleness there at all, that's, that's great. The devil is more than happy 
for Christians to be prideful and arrogant and live, as we saw up to this point, consume their lust and live their life for themselves. That's what the devil wants for us to be as Christians. So if we want to resist that, we have to submit ourselves and humble ourselves to him, to the Lord. Secondly, second thing, verse number eight. So first, we want to submit ourselves. Secondly, we want to draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. So if we're submitting ourselves to him, and I think these things, we have step one, step two, step three for outline purposes, but they're really all step period. There's just one step. You do it and it all flows together. So if you're submitting yourself to God, if you're submitting the way you live, if you're submitting your life to him, you're automatically going to start drawing nigh to him. Because in order to submit to someone completely, you have to get to know them. You have to get close to them. You're going to get close to them. If you're going to submit yourself to somebody else, you're going to have a closer relationship with them, especially with God. And now you see here the second part of that sentence, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. God's there. God's ready. And this is used with the prodigal son, that story often. The minute you turn yourself to God, the minute you just inch yourself towards God, he's right there. He meets you where he comes because he wants that relationship with you so badly. So much more than you even understand. So much more than we know God wants to have a relationship with us. So when we submit ourselves and then we begin to draw nigh to him, he is right there. He is ready to have that relationship with you. He's ready to strengthen you, encourage you. He is ready to be there with you. Now, how do, we, how do we draw nigh to him? The Pharisees drew nigh to God with their lips. They said they were Christians. They, they said they loved God. They said all the right things, but their hearts were far from him. So if we as Christians want to draw nigh to him, that means we need to work on having a relationship with him. Now, how do you have a relationship with anybody? How do you have a relationship with people? You, you have to talk to them. You have to spend time with them. You have to get to know them. You have to know who they are. Know what's in their heart. What, what makes them tick. Right? If you want to get to know a, a person, a human being, you have to get to know who they are. And we all have different levels of acquaintances. People that we call friends, that we know, but we may not know what's really down deep in their heart, their desires. And then hopefully if you're married, your spouse... You know them better than anybody else in this world, right? You know what makes them tick. You know, you know what makes them don't tick. And you sometimes maybe push that button to make them not tick because pride. Um, but we know our spouse, and you know them better than anyone else. It takes time to get to know someone like that. It takes effort. It takes talking. It takes getting to know them. So if we're going to draw an eye to God, that means, that means this thing has to be out. And I'm holding up the Bible, if you listen to the podcast later. You have to be in this to get to know him. This is how God talks to us. God doesn't audibly talk to us anymore, right? Because everything he needs us to know is right here. So if you want to get to know God, if you want to draw nigh to him, which means you're submitting to him, which means you're trying to not be prideful so God doesn't resist you, it means you have to be in this book. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but it needs to be a part of your life, not because mom and dad said, but because you want to. Not because this is the way it was when you were a kid, but just because you want to. You'll find as you get older, teenagers and young people, and then adults, you'll, you'll admit to this, no one makes you read your Bible. No one tells me to read my Bible anymore. They don't. I'm, I'm in charge of me. No one makes me do it. But if I want to resist the devil, if I want to draw nigh to God, 
If I want to make sure that I'm not prideful and God resists me, I have to have a relationship with him, which means I have to read this on my own because I want to. So if you want to draw an eye to God, Christian, you need to be in this book. More than just for Sunday school, more than just for church, but on your own because you want a relationship with him. You have to pray. You have to talk to him. You have to have a time of prayer, not just before meals, not just before long trips, not just at the you know, normal times that we would pray out loud in church, but you have to pray to him and talk to him and have that conversation. Build that relationship. Draw nigh. Because if we're not doing these things, automatically the opposite of doing these things is pride. And pride will creep up in your life. If you're not reading your Bible, I can guarantee you there's pride. It's not like, well, I don't have to read my Bible and I'll still, keep, I'll still be humble. I'll still keep the pride away. Well, I, even though I might not submit everything in my life to God, I'm still going to, God doesn't resist me because I'm not proud. I'm just not going to submit everything. But by not submitting everything and by not drawing nigh, you automatically have pride. There's no in-between. There's one or the other. It's very black and white. There is no gray area there. We like to find gray areas. We like to find exceptions. We like to think that we are exceptions all the time to the rules and the things that apply. We are exceptions. It's not quite like that for me because fill in the blank. It is. There really is no way around it. These are, these are pretty clear. So submit yourself. Draw nigh to God. That's the second thing we, we need to do. When we see our sin, right, we're all sinners. Even after salvation, you don't, sin doesn't go away. You still fight the natural carnal man. When we see our sin, when we see our pride, when we see our hypocrisy, the closer you draw to God, the easier it is to see those things about ourselves. And we like to point out those things to other people. We're real, we're real easy. We have an easier time finding the hypocrisy and the sin in others than we do in ourselves. But the more you draw nigh to God, the more you see it in yourself. And when you see who you are, think about this, just do this thought experiment. If you see the sin in your life, and you see the hypocrisy and the pride that you do have in your life as you draw near to God. What does that automatically do if you're taking these steps? It humbles you. It makes you see who you are for who you really are. And understand, maybe I'm not so great. Maybe I'm not the best person I thought I was. But I have sin in my life. I have things that cause me to fall. I have things I jump head first into that cause me to fall. Because I'm a sinner. We don't want that pride in our life, so we want to draw an eye to him to, to see those things and cleanse our lives. Verse number 8 continues, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now we know Jesus' blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The sin debt that we have, Jesus' blood is the only thing that can cleanse that away. And this verse isn't saying that we have to do anything to wash our hands or cleanse our hearts to get rid of the sin. But it does mean that we need to cleanse our hands and our hearts from our daily life. That means that the sin debt is paid once, once you're saved. Jesus' blood paid for that once, one time, forever, for all. And you can't do anything for that. But your life, you can still be cleansed from sin and still live a filthy life. And that doesn't mean that, you're, that the only people that live filthy lives are the world. That go to bars and do all the bad things that we don't do because we're good Christians. Pride is just as dirty and filthy as any sin you can think of. And we are all guilty of that sin. So as we draw nigh to God, he says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, 
See the sin that you have. Confess your sin. Cleanse Cleanse that from your body. Cleanse that from your life. Change the way you live. Change the way you view yourself. Jesus' blood cleanses from our sin, but the way we live our life can still be filthy from sin. The closer we get to God, the more we are made aware of who we are. If you're honest about it and you want to be close to God, you will never come to God and God be like, yeah, good job, doing great, no problems here, continue on. No. The closer you get to God, the more you seek his face, the more you see your sin. The more you see where you fall short, the more you are aware of who you are. And when you see that, and then you do something about it, it'll change your view of of yourself. And it will. And this is where that pride is. We We don't like to do that. Like Brother Stephen said, we don't like to look in that mirror. That shows us who we are, the mirror of the word of God, because it shows us our imperfections. It shows us the the smudge on our face. It shows us our wrinkles. It shows us our our sin in our life. And we don't like that, because that's hard to get rid of. That's hard to view, because we think we're pretty good people, for the most part. We think we're pretty good. Even as Christians who know better, we think we're pretty good. And we have a hard time seeing ourselves who we really are. And that's because we're prideful. And again, God says he resists the proud. So if we submit ourselves and we draw nigh to him, then as we continue down in verse number 10, we can humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Now as we see ourselves, as we said in verse 8, look at verse 9. What does it say that if we see ourselves for who we are, what does it cause us to be? It causes us to be afflicted, to mourn, to weep, let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to heaviness. That sounds real depressing. It sounds like, well, then we can't have a good time. We can't be happy and joyful and laugh because we're such bad sinners. We've got to be mournful and cry and just miserable all the time. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, but when you do see who you are, it's kind of a reality check. It makes you realize who you are. And it, it will bring joy and it will bring happiness because you'll realize what God has done for the sinner you are. And that without him, you would be lost. And we would be worthless. We would be on our way to hell without him and his redeeming power. But because of what he did for us, we don't have to be. We can live a, a victorious life. We can live a life without pride. We can live a life, it'll never ever go away until heaven. You'll always struggle with it, but you can have victory even here on earth. You can become more like him today than you were yesterday. But it causes you to do these things. It causes you to submit if you want to get there. You have to draw nigh to him. Then we can humble ourselves. When we come to God, submit, draw nigh, then we see who we really, really are, then we can realize who we are. We can know who we are. And we can realize the hum- humility we need. And that's where the kneeling comes in. That's where the getting down on your face comes in. Not because you're standing against something or standing for something, but the kneeling and falling to your face and reverence for God because you see through God's mirror, through the relationship with him and submitting to him, who we really are. And if we take that honest look at ourselves, man, it's heavy. Because you see who you are. You see the life, even as a good, quote-unquote, Christian, the sin that still is prevalent in our life. And when you see that and you have the attitude of not wanting to be that way, then that's when you bow the knee. You bow the knee to the one who's worthy. You bow the knee to the king of all, the Lord of lords, to the king of kings, 
to the ruler of the universe, the creator of you and me, you bow the knee to the only one that deserves anyone to bow to them. That every knee someday will bow. Every tongue will confess. And when you realize that he is your God, and that's the one you serve, you're going to want to move as far away from pride as you can. You're going to ask God to help you to overcome the sin that's in your life, help you to live the way he wants you to live. And when you do those things, when you do begin to humble yourself, then what happens? Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now that doesn't mean that he's like, okay, you humbled yourself, now I'll make you great. And everyone will love you, look how awesome you are. And there's that pride again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he will bring, he will bring you up from off your knees, from your humble position, and he will use you. He will use you to further his kingdom. He will use you, as Jacob said on Wednesday, to fill all the roles in his house that need being done. He will use the humble to do the things that he helps further his church. The reason he died, the reason we have church, the reason we're here this morning, to reach the lost, to become more like him, to grow, to learn. When we humble ourselves and see us for who we really are, that's when he can use us. That's when you can be a servant for him. That's when he can put you into a place that you further his kingdom. And as Christians, that's where we want to be. As Christians, that's where every single one of us should want to be in that position that we're helping to further his kingdom. God gives us what we don't deserve, grace. Right? We don't deserve grace. We don't deserve anything because of who we are. But when we humble ourselves, he gives us grace. And he is able to use us in spite of, our, in spite of ourselves. So the scope of understanding God that he is literally in oppression to you, in opposition to you as a proud person. When you understand that, when you view, when you see that as reality, that when we become prideful, when we are proud, God is literally in opposition to us and he fights, he's, he's there to stop that lifestyle and stop that attitude. And you see that and you know how dire that situation is. On the other side, knowing the grace that he gives to those that are humble is just as immense as the opposition he has to the proud. Because we don't deserve it, do we? When, and the closer we get to him, the more we submit, we, the more we realize we don't deserve it. And when you get to that point, you don't see anybody else around you either, do you? You're not worried about the, the person in three pews behind you that did something that you didn't like. You're not worried about the pastor that said something maybe you didn't 100% agree with at the pulpit. No, when you get to the point where you're submitting yourselves, you're drawing nigh, and you're humble, that's a small little bubble that just includes you and God. And when you get to that point, that's, that's where God wants you. God doesn't want you worrying about everybody else. God wants you worrying about you and seeing where you are, seeing where your heart is. And when you get to that point, that's where God can do something with you. That's where God can do something with me. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've been able to do, but because of what he has done for me. And be because of who he is. And that he'll use someone like me that has a stammering tongue and really bad at writing outlines and really bad at titles to sermons as opposed to some people. You have to be here Wednesday to, to get that one. But God will use you in spite of yourself. God wants to use you, but he can't use you if you're prideful. 
And pride, pride is one of the easiest things that will creep into a Christian's life if we're not careful. It has to be a constant thing that we submit ourselves, we draw nigh to him, and we humble ourselves. And if we actually understood this, if we, if we believed it and lived that way, it would change, it would literally change our daily life. If we lived in a way where we tried to avoid the pride coming in and submitted ourselves and drew nigh to him constantly, it would change us as Christians. It would change how you treat others. It would change, it would change your life. It would change my life. The problem is we're so prideful that we have a hard time doing that consistently. So this is just a reminder. Again, it was a reminder to me first. right? Every time this comes up, God puts it right in my face first and says, here, you need this. I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, there might be someone else who needs it too, so you can tell other people maybe the problems you're having. And maybe someone else has the same issue. So what are your desires? What are the things that you want most in life? If you look at the Christians here, they had lusts for things that were not godly, to consume them on their own lust. The, the desires of your life, the way you want your life to go, does it line up with God? That's the first question. Secondly, are you submitting? Is your life submitted to him? Do you live a life in submission to God? And again, we don't like submission. We don't like to be under the thumb of anyone. But when you realize submitting to God, you're not under the thumb. You're enabled, and he will lift you up. Are you drawing nigh to him? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? See yourself who, for who you really are. And when we do those things, and we're in that state, that's when God can use us. Everyone stand with me if you would. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.